0: This is Ken Forster, Executive Director of Momenta Partners and Momenta Ventures. Welcome to our Digital Leadership Podcast. In this series of conversations, we capture insights from the best and brightest minds in digital industry. They're executives, entrepreneurs, advisors, and other thought leaders. What they have in common is like our team at Momenta, they are deep industry practitioners. We hope you find these podcasts informative, and as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Good day and welcome to episode of our Digital Industry Leadership Podcast produced by, for, and about digital industry leaders. Today, I'm pleased to host a true industry investment veteran, Michael Redding, the former managing director of Accenture Ventures. Mike co-founded Accenture Ventures in 2015 and was responsible for growing a global portfolio of strategic partnerships and equity investments in emerging technology startups to support Accenture's and their clients' business transformations. He oversaw 38 venture investments in the creation of a global open innovation network spanning 50 countries, all focused on artificial intelligence, cybersecurity, augmented slash virtual reality, blockchain and cloud. In 2014, Mike was recognized, I'm sorry, in 2019, Mike was recognized by Global Corporate Venturing as number nine on their power list of top 100 corporate venture leads out of 2,200 corporate venture capitalist units globally. Previously, Mike led Accenture Technology Labs, a dedicated technology R&D organization of Accenture. He received a bachelor's degree in electrical engineering and computer science from Princeton University in 1988, and a master's in biomedical engineering from Northwestern University in 1999. Mike, welcome to our podcast. It's a great pleasure to have you. Well, Ken, thanks for having me today. Absolutely, man, I, 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 you going back 2019, number nine out of 2200, that's just, uh, that's just amazing to, uh, to have that kind of credibility. So I'm greatly looking forward to the conversation. So let's start with your professional journey, which I've outlined a little bit already, but tell us a bit about your background and how it has informed your views of the digital industry.
1: Um, sure, so, you know, engineer by training, and you know electrical engineering and then biomedical engineering. But what came out of that was a passion uh, for software. And when I joined uh, what was then Anderson Consulting and eventually became Accenture, right out of you know, fresh out of grad school, um, I had skills in such advanced technologies as Unix and C and graphical user interfaces at a time when the world, the business world was still in COBOL land and we were just entering client server. So I was advanced technology. And so that kind of set my career trajectory to always be at that front edge of emerging tech that kind of when the rubber finally hits the road, we go from academic theory to enterprise deployment, right? And first mover, first of the kind um, deployments. And so you, know, you can kind of think of my career in, in three phases, um, the first phase was uh, kind of classic technology consulting um, where I uh, was went ahead and did everything from programming to project management to program management, technical um, and enterprise architecture. So you're really getting my chops around from small projects to ultimately large enterprise transformation, you know, carrying the beeper, getting the tech support calls you know, all that you know, kind of fundamentals, but always in the realm of solving a problem, right? My engineering roots were always solve a problem. And that wasn't always something broken. A lot of times it was, let's create something that's never existed. Um, let's build a bridge that's never been built, you know, metaphorically. And so that was kind of the first tranche of my career. Um, ended up leading, you know, transitioning from client server into early internet, into things like email management when email for corporates was new, think about that, uh, into call center automation, into digital marketing. As digital technologies went and evolved, was there every step of the way. So that was kind of the the first era. Then uh, the second era was the labs, which you mentioned, which is they took some consulting guys like me, mashed us up with some researchers to create an R&D function inside you know, a global services firm, but not to make product, because you know, Accenture is not a product company, but to apply technology. And again, to figure out how to take what was coming out of startups and large, you know, you know, large uh, technology companies like an IBM or a Microsoft or an SAP, but to always be at that front edge. And, and the labs was always trying to say, can we ever do what we used to call pioneering defining? The first ever. And so in fact, during that second wave, I did the first ever corporate workloads from Accenture and our clients on Amazon Web Services. It was the, it was the launch of what is now a multi-billion dollar cloud business. And my team, uh, I signed the an agreement. And despite the lawyers telling me not to do it, I signed the first ever Uh, agreement to do development on the iPhone. We wrote the first ever application running on an iPhone that accessed SAP for enterprise use. And so, which launched then again, multi-billion dollar over time, you know, uh, mobility practice. And onto things like cybersecurity, early quantum, uh, you know. So the labs era was all about that, you know, first of its kind um, technology and but again, in the service of real-world client implementations, this is not you know academic. This is the school of hard knocks, you know, there at the coal face trying to make it real and get business value from it. And there was definitely we can talk about the the you know the skeletons in the closet of tech that sounded good but proved not to be. And then the third era, the most recent one you recapped, was you know working with our chief technology innovation officer, Paul Doherty. He asked me to step out of the labs and to do this new thing, which was to say, let's really um, put, you know, a structured uh, emphasis on uh, the next generation of technology partners, you know, the startups, and really create a formal program to partner with them and put our money where our mouth is. In some cases, by making investments, but always with the goal of not get, as I say, rich quick at the IPO casino but actually to accelerate market adoption, right? And to get them into the market faster. And I think that's what global corporate venturing recognized was a corporate strategic program that was strategic. And that's why I think they, they gave me that honor uh, last year.
0: I had the uh, opportunity to visit in Chicago uh, the, I don't know if it was the advanced R&D labs, but certainly it was with regard to retail futures. Uh, it was uh, in essence kind of a retail feature of the store. So back in probably 2000 timeframe, very impressed at the time uh, in terms of the building and the and the layout and and the, the teams and a lot of the activities they undertook. Um, so looking at this phase two, the labs um, as you, well, I think at the time that you were there, you led a team of about 200 across five global locations, direct investment about 25 million. So the, these aren't uh, a, a couple of WeWork style cubicles and uh, and some interesting blinking lights. <laughs> not, not at, at all. all. Tell, tell me a bit about, I think you mentioned a bit, but tell me a bit about the purpose of the labs and how it really supported Accenture's broader mission, especially because you said not a product company, right? Right on.
1: And so, and by the way, so that was probably Smart Smart Store 2000, that you visited, which then morphed into what we call ASIN, which was the Accenture um, Customer Innovation Network, because as you can imagine, retailers, it's always the, yeah, there's back office, which is super critical, but it's always that interface between the the retailer and its customer that defines retail, um, because it is B2C straight up. Um, and so that's continued to evolve, but that's critical because it's context is king, it's always putting the technology in the context of the industry, of the end user, whether that's the corporate you know, end user or the, the corporate's customer, whether it's B2B or B2C, it's always through the lens of context, because that is where you find actual success in innovation. And so the labs, you're right, it wasn't you know, some little you know three people in a closet doing something. It was 200 people around the world. And, and the key was always to envision this we talked about the intersection of business and technology and others maybe some of our strategy colleagues some of our industry colleagues would look at innovation from the lens of um, new business models or new markets opening up or new regulatory framework changes that would change business conditions in the labs our job was to say when is technology a catalyst for industry change, for enterprise change. And when is the technology different enough that it will change the rules, it'll change the economics, it'll change the operating environment and will create advantage or threat that must be responded to. And so the labs is constantly um, on this focus of pragmatic visionaries. It's looking down the road and saying, what's going to be true in three years. Therefore, you can take action on it today. And so actually starting right around that time, 2000, annually, the the labs has published a technology vision, which is a three to five year vision out that says, what is what's going to be mainstream? What is everyone going to be doing in three years? So therefore, as an enterprise, what can you take action on today? So it's not, oh, flying cars. So wait for that magic day to come. It's more like, cloud and here's how you start on a cloud journey and therefore in three years when it's going mainstream you've got the muscles you've built up the capabilities you've done the 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 training you've got the architectural standards you do everything that an enterprise needs to do to actually scale it out and do it um you know because our Accenture's clients are the global 2000 so you've got to make sure it's going to be legit and real and not just a hobby experiment so the lambs is constantly trying to you know they always say in hockey you skate to where the puck is going the labs defines where the puck is going and then lays out the the path to get there and then does the experiments um the proofs of value to show it's legit it's real it's ready for prime time
0: so describe that shining city on the hill and then make it true Mm, well said the um Interesting because I, I looked at your investments as a, um, a, a augmentation, if you will, of the internal labs. And the way you presented it earlier, when you said phase one, two, and three, is um, going and looking at the next generation of external innovators. And right around that time, of course, you know, outside-in innovation was you know was 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 the the rage and such. Were was the uh, creation of the ventures program meant to be kind of a movement forward of innovation? You know, augmenting. E- Internal with external, or was it uh, was it was it meant simply as an investment device?
1: Um, it was 100. percent The entire rationale for it was um, to drive uh, market adoption and well, really transformational change, digital transformational change in the enterprise. And you know, but if, but obviously, if Accenture's the catalyst of that change, then it leads to services revenue, a plus. And because we're not a product company, it pulls through you know, ARR for our technology partners, right? You know, at, you know annual recurring revenue. To, you know, I'm sorry, don't uh, acronyms run in my blood. So if I ever throw one out there the and say, <laughs> wait, Mike, what do you mean by that? Right, so, uh, you know, so my brain works in acronyms, but, uh, you know, so recurring revenue for our partner, because the key is in the labs, we'd say quantum, but in ventures, we'd say, okay, so yeah, quantum, which quantum? And then we'd go, oh, one qubit out of Vancouver. They've got the library of 150 quantum-based algorithms that will allow people to do things like molecular comparisons for drug discovery or supply chain optimization or other um, other analytical functions, uh, NAPSAP function, which if you're an analytics person, you know exactly what that means. Uh, and those are the things that, so the question is, you know, okay, that's the the labs would chart out the direction, but then the question was supply side. And of course, since Accenture partnered with the biggest of the bigs, the Microsoft, the SAPs, the Salesforces, the you name any of the biggest technology partners, and they all have their own technology innovation programs, got that covered, but as we know, there's tens if not hundreds of billions of dollars a year going into the next wave of technology. We wanted to make sure that our clients had access to both ends of the spectrum because any scaled digital transformation is going to start with a foundation of a public cloud or a vertical or a SaaS play like a Salesforce and SAP. That's going to be the backbone. You know, that's the foundation, the skeleton, the um, and all, and the foundation of everything you need to do. But then the the differentiation. How does you know? Industrial equipment company one different from number two. They're both running SAP S/4HANA. How do you, how does one of them juice up their analytics? Oh, well, they bring in some quantum and they and they and they optimize their materials handling by bringing in quantum algorithms from one qubit. So that's it's the and and therefore the goal of this was to say how do we make sure that Accenture is the innovation partner of choice for our clients, and that's always by having the the most complete. Um, box of Legos from which to build digital transformations.
0: Okay, so let's talk about some of those Legos because you did pretty well picking these Legos. Uh, so I see solid X's, including Mighty AI to Uber, you know, small deal there. Velocity uh, to Velocity, I should say, to Salesforce, small deal, right? Paxata to DataRobot, and of course investments in Mana uh, Upskill and and ForgeRock. Uh, so you picked your you picked your Legos pretty well. To what to what do you attribute this ability to consistently back such winners?
1: Well, and don't forget Encino, one of our best, which just IPOed. Um, actually, so the well, what it comes down to is um, really taking a hard look at market demand. What uh, you know? What do our clients need? Um, understanding industry, understanding the enterprise, understanding the value levers, and then saying, okay. What's missing? Who's got it? And it, and then, you know, so that's that's the, the first part, which is the, the bridge and then making that bridge. So not only is it, you know, I can just match make, but bridge make, which is actually connect the dots, actually get it. You know, with Encino, they had worked with a lot of small banks. We partnered with them on their first tier one bank, Sun uh, SunTrust up in Canada, who also became an investor and then proceeded to roll them out across most of the tier one banks in North America, jumped the pond into Europe, jumped the, the big pond over into Australia. But as a result, um, it was because there was a clear need, You know, there hadn't been a modern architecture or solution in commercial lending since the 90s, right? And, and then we'd invested like in Finzac and Zaffin. To go after core banking, same idea. there we bracketed the market. Uh, we can talk about that if you want, but there we're even bracketing the market because there's 30 years of demand waiting to be fulfilled. So what helps us pick the winners uh, or strong players and have a you know a, a nice um, you know, if if a way to judge quality portfolio is what happens to them? Do they go on to bigger things either independently or as part of a larger tech firm like Mighty AI becoming part of Uber? It's, it's, that, it's that matching and that bridge making. And again, of course, the, the quality of the leadership team and in, in, inside it that says, wow, they've got some real talent. So knowing the market, knowing what the Global 2000 needs and wants, finding, and then finding the right crew that's got the right people and the right product, that's what we, try to, we strive for in every investment decision that's made.
0: Mm. You guys obviously did well. I love it. The connect the dots uh, investment thesis, if you will. And uh, look, given the broad visibility that Accenture has, I could foresee the level of insight that they could collectively pull together. You know, was quite phenomenal. So I could see you really could see, you know, quote unquote, demand side, if you will, need out there. Now I know you worked closely with uh, the innovation and investment teams at some of the larger global corporations. Um, what were some of the trends you saw during that time of how corporations manage external innovation? What models do you actually see working out there?
1: Oh, that's a you know, that, yeah, um, you know. Uh, Unfortunately, you, you just backed me into the classic corner that I have to give you the default uh, consulting answer, which is, it depends.
0: It depends, yeah. Sorry, man, <laughs> you did it to coming. me. You, you pushed me. But you
1: no, know, because the reality is, um, I, I've seen it all, and I've tried it all, right? I've been at this for 30 years, so I've I've, I've done all the mistakes myself, right? But the, the key is, um, it's where, where success comes is that rigorous and ambitious tie between the innovation agenda or ambition and the business mission. Not just the business plan or not just the business goals, but the actual business mission. When you can tie it into what the company, the enterprise is all about, you find success. And then after that, it's style. Do you, you know, but I've seen too many people and enterprises do it as a, oh, we need to check a box. So we need to have an innovation program or an investment program, therefore we'll dabble, but then it's all fair weather, right? And and going back to my own career and our lab function, right? Our lab function, you know, the roots of it were laid down in the eighties the modern version of it was formed in the 90s we've it survived coming up on you know depends on what covid does between four and five recessions so it's never been treated as a luxury item it's always been treated as a necessity because of the relentless focus on how does it serve and how is it integrated into the mission it can be special profile it can even involve like again when we're working with all these startups we're not making the product. We're working with hundreds of startups around the world. So that's definitely an externalized, you know, capability. Um, and when, so I've seen clients that if they can really tie it into the way they work, how they go about their business, then then it's just a question of is it is it an in-house accelerator? Do they partner up with an external accelerator? Do they um, do their own investing? Do they? you know, go to one of the organizations that can do kind of investing as a service, they basically become an LP. Um, no right or wrong, but, it, but it's when it's arm's length and box checking and oh, by the way, yeah, we should do one of those because we're supposed to, that's when it falls short. And that's when the next time, time things get rough, it's chopped. And that's, that's actually the bad rep that corporate venture capital, because venture capital, is CB, or you know, VCs, St. Hill Road types, they don't have another job. It's invest or be you know unemployed. With corporate, it's like, no, yeah, we're still making widgets. We're still making loans. We're still you know generating electricity. So yeah, if we stop investing, so what? There and therein lies the trap. And so it's when it's not part of who you are or part of your. It's not integral. Then it's then it's superfluous. And the first you know the first time there's trouble. You're going to kick it overboard, and then you're going to miss out. And all the studies have shown every past recession, those that innovate during the recession get a twenty to thirty percentage advantage coming out of the recession out of coming out of the recession compared to their direct peers who cut. So when times are tough, that's the time not to jump overboard. But if it's a luxury item or you don't you see it as a luxury item, then you're then, no matter what style you take, you're
0: gonna, you're gonna find failure. Hmm. Good. It's it, good general um, observations there. Now, kind of drilling down because we really represent, you know, digital industry. And when I think of the digitization of energy, manufacturing, smart spaces, supply chain. What we've seen is there are a few VCs or venture capitalists that uh, that really kind of favor this space, mainly because it's a combination of industry and, and, and infrastructure, as we like to say, and and it's, uh, it's relatively unicorn free in that regard, right? A lot of base hits, if you will. Um, I guess from your perspective, does that mean that this space will always be dominated by corporate venture capital, or do you think – um, VCs will begin to understand the the you know the real deep fundamentals of this space and and start to invest more in it. Like SoftBank has is a good example, right? Although you again technically CVC, so <laughs> yeah. So
1: well, because here's the thing, I and mean, you you it's I mean it's a, it's a pretty uh, interesting question you're asking. Um, as I look at it, the the issue is um, issue maybe is not the right word, but the, the dynamic I maybe mean, it's better word uh, is that with a VC, generally speaking, right, broad brush. Again, I know you're asking me for specifics, but I'm going to start broad and narrow quick. They're thinking, what what is something that goes super scalar? You know, if it's consumer, how do I get to a billion you know, human beings using it? If it's technology, it's how does it, that no matter, how does it, how do I do it so that every company needs it? Like carpets, every company needs carpets, so I'll invest in carpet, right? Because I don't have to think too hard about it. Everybody needs it, right? It's desks. Everybody needs desks, right? So, uh, where when it comes to industry vertical, then you gotta have the, the expertise. So going back to your point about Accenture, what also was my you know hidden strength was we had five hundred thousand people. We have a we had and Accenture has continues as um, yeah, um, an expert in literally everything. I just had to know how to find them. Well, if you're a VC shop with 20 employees or 70 employees or the biggest ones, 200 employees, you're about 499,800 short, right, compared to an Accenture. So you can't cover all the bases. And so, therefore, this. but the CVCs, if they're coming from energy, so it's Saudi Aramco or Shell or Chevron, they know energy. They know the dynamics. They know the economics. They know the the problems they know the the opportunities and as a result they can they can really get into it or if you're in hardcore you know, when you say manufacturing manufacturing cars and manufacturing wheat and manufacturing um, you know uh, you know uh, ceramic mugs are not all the same manufacturing right and so you, you start to you, the specialization and the subspecialization, to really come up with something that moves the needle on the economics such that it it may scale, but it's going to scale in the context of, you know, if it's energy, if it's you know upstream, it's gonna scale for the 10 super majors. So the so if you're of Sand Hill Road VC, you're thinking, I need a hundred, I need I need, I need 125 logos on a slide. But if you're an energy you note, know, if you get 10 logos, you've got 90% market share. Right? So I think that's why you may see a bit of that dynamic because unicorns are, are seen more in terms of mass market versus deep, but yet some of those deep ones are the most profitable companies on the planet. Uh, and so because if you really get into a niche you and you've got market dominance, you're printing money. you're you know you're at the eighty percent margin, but you may not be you may not you may never do. 10 billion in revenue, but you're doing a billion at 80% margin, it's still going to generate a nice return.
0: You had mentioned earlier how the labs had kind of survived a number of downturns uh, in the economy over time, or challenges, shall we say? And obviously, uh, you know, we're facing one of the, the 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 most relevant in terms of COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, I think the World Economic Forum calls it the Great Reset. We actually are thinking of it in terms of uh, a great digital accelerator because we're seeing all of our portfolio companies benefit from it in, in terms of um, you know the work that they're doing what do you see as the long-term impact of this um and especially on digital industry
1: well um as a child of the 90s uh i've lived through re-engineering remember business process re-engineering right um you know my hammer if it's not you know broken break it or don't pave the cow path and all those you know slogans of the 90s well I think COVID-19 is, you know, is that gut check on re-engineering and and asking assumptions. Why why do millions of people get in a car and drive to a building and go to their cube and sit there all day? Right? It's like, wait, what? You know, how does that make sense? Um, And or why, you know, cloud? Collaboration, right? We're doing this over teams. Collaboration technology has been around 20 years, but all of us have disdained it because it's not as good as human beings. And yeah, human beings love to be with other humans, and there's a lot of context, and there's a lot of empathy, and a lot of other high bandwidth, nonverbal communications. Yet, there's still plenty we could have been doing, but status quo said, yeah, that you, you know, it's why take on the hassle of the learning curve? when we can get by without it. So I think COVID is the grand, like you said, it's a grand reboot on the assumptions and the and the why do we do the things the way we do them? And if you're ambitious to say, why not exploit the technology, cloud, mobility, IOT, that is there and proven, but has been sitting kind of almost collecting dust because people have been slow to adopt it because it's like, yeah, status quo is cool. Well, status quo isn't cool right now, and you, don't, and you may not have a choice, and especially if you're, you're in certain industries, if you don't reinvent yourself, depending on how long this COVID thing, you know, and, and others that follow kick around, you won't be around. So I look at this and say, you know, this should be every innovator's dream, which is there's so much turmoil, yet it's not like we're waiting for someone, on, on the vaccine side, we're waiting for someone to invent the technology, but on the digital technologies, We've got quite the, you know, quite the toolbox. It's just, but I, I, it depends on the latest stats. But and I haven't looked at them in the recently. But even as late, late as last year, people were talking about twenty percent of penetration of cloud into enterprise workloads. Well, that means we have eighty percent to go. And that, but it's yet the technology is perfectly fine for it. it's not a lack of capacity or lack of tech. It's a lack of application. So I think COVID's the grand stimulus in that. It's a forcing function. Nobody gets a choice to sit on the sidelines and just ignore it. And those, the winners, will be that embrace what you talked about, which is that digital acceleration that says, shoot, the rule books out the window, all bets are off. Go for it. Make it happen. Right? Now's the time. And those that do that are gonna come out and really see a transformation. You know, again, I was driving by, I'll leave names out of it. Driving down the street, and I saw a building, and it had the name of a national insurance company on it. And I'm like, "That's you know a local agency." I'm like, "Why on God's green earth do they still have that building, right? What is that costing them an operational cost Versus when is the next time anybody actually needs to physically go into a insurance agency branch versus just." Work with your insurance agent, work with them digitally, you know, lower the cost, increase the, the customer engagement, do better than you've ever done. And, you know, and so, but why have physical real estate other than it's a billboard? You know, that's, so I think that's where those that grab a hold of it versus those that just go, "Oops, it blew over, go back to the way we were. Anyone who has
0: that mentality, I think is going to miss the boat look all the the last probably uh, 60 seconds of of answer there have been a great setup for what i'm sure everybody's thinking now so given this perfect storm of opportunity if you will given the 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 uh, level of uh, observation you have the insights you have the digital experience you have and everything else what's next for you michael
1: um well that's you know a great question and i'm on you know like everyone else i'm using this covid era as a bit of a chance to you know i had a great run with one of the world's best companies uh and you know but we've always been working towards succession and actually brought on board um a fantastic woman leader captain ross out of chicago to kind of grab the torch and take it forward so i'm super excited for her and where adventures goes next but for me it was time while i'm um, youthful maybe not young but youthful enough to say what's Let's go do the, let's go do the new adventure, take what I've learned, um, but get, you know, so I may be leaving the team, but I'm not leaving the game. Uh, it's just, but it's time, you know, to challenge myself, to say, if I take my own advice, right? You have know, the old you know, uh, sometimes people don't do that, but I'm trying to take my own advice and say, use this as a chance to get out, um, get outside the, the box you've been in, get out of your foxhole and, you know, and get into the broader world. But for me, it's always going to be that intersection point of the enterprise and technology and bringing startup and new technology um, to world-class companies, that's where it's going to be. So I think it's going to be working with startups, keep investing, because of course, um, that makes sure you're putting my money and or investment dollars where your mouth is, you know, it's easy to say it, harder to do. But then also, because I'm going back to my engineering roots, it's not, Again, just sitting on the sidelines and guessing, it's doing, it's making the change and being part of the change and seeing it, you know, seeing the problems get solved or seeing the solution uh, deployed in the wild. uh, That's what gets me so fired up every day. So for me, it's going to be keep, keep on doing that. But now, but you know, with some, but with some new um, friends and new collaborators, uh, probably still with my friends from Accenture, but with a broader, you know, broader palette to work from. Uh, You know, and that's what's both daunting and exciting at the same moment, which I think is true for everybody at this moment of COVID and this moment of digital industry acceleration.
0: Mm, Yeah, very much so. And uh, Momentum would like to count itself among those friends. (laughs) 100%. Yeah. So in closing, can you provide any recommendations of books or resources that inspire you? That's... um, that's a great question, uh,
1: and you know, I and maybe it's because right now uh, I, I'm in the the, the groove. But um, for me, just keeping you know my finger on the pulse, uh, you know, folks like Crunchbase and CB Insights and PitchBook, um, because they're they're very you know happy to share with you on a daily basis a lot of what's going on in the world, not just Silicon Valley, but the world upstarts global corporate venturing has a daily newsletter but just anybody even if you're not investing just the fact that they're constantly sharing you know what's happening so you can you can see the trends you can start to see the patterns you can get the vibe um and it can spark a little spark of inspiration in you in whatever your job is but spark of oh well, whoa there's something else going on i gotta go you know and maybe once every two weeks there's a thread you decide to pull but for, but they're filling your inbox every day with just you know pretty curated content uh and again 90% 95% maybe not for you for the individual reader but for me I find that to be just a constant um it reminds me where you know innovation is never ending uh and, and, and but it's not overwhelming there's always but you can find some some threads to pull and some inspiration and something to take action on, and I think that that's that's the habit everyone who really aspires to innovate needs to do is get in the habit of saying, it's not one and done; it's evergreen, and 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 getting that daily habit, just like daily exercise, you know, it's daily exercise of your innovation muscle. That's you know, and they're all they're all waiting for you to subscribe and and you know and and spend some of your daily reading time.
0: <laughs> I always see it as constant pattern matching, uh, yeah, is, uh, especially like cross-domain, it. cross-geography, um, you know, cross-discipline, etc. So, so Michael, thank you so much for this insightful interview and for uh, really sharing and keeping us all in the groove with you. I've uh, really appreciated this. Well, thank you for the opportunity and really appreciate the chance to share. Absolutely. So this has been Michael Redding, the former managing director of Accenture Ventures and a true digital industry investment veteran. Thank you for listening and please join us next week for the next episode of our Digital Industry Leadership podcast series produced for, by, and about digital industry leaders. You've been listening to the Momenta Digital Leadership Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the discussions. And as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Please check our website at momenta.one for archive versions of prior podcasts, webinars, as well as resources to help with your digital industry journey. Thank you for listening.